So good morning, Huyamora, Molweni Noke. Trust you guys are all well. I have really been appreciating and enjoying these four day weeks. <laughs> Hasn't it been awesome? Um, last week we had one, this week coming up is a nice one, and then following week is one as well. Yeah. So last week we, we celebrated Easter. And Easter for us, I think, is the most important event on our calendar as, as followers of Jesus. And last weekend, we again, we reflected on the depth and the value of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. How Jesus allowed himself to be crucified and to become the ransom, the lamb to be slain for all people for all time. And that then culminated in the resurrection that demonstrated for us again Jesus' love for us as well as his power and his sovereignty over death and life. And now this morning I want us to reflect on one of the gifts that Jesus has secured for us through his actions on the cross. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And so I would like for us this morning, for this next few minutes, to consider one of those gifts that he has given to us through his actions on the cross. Now, a theme in this gift that we will be looking at actually ties quite nicely into our context, very specifically as South Africans, as we've heard earlier on. Because in three days' time, we will reflect again on something that was also hard fought for us. And something that, in a sense, we continue to fight for, and that is freedom. The gift of freedom. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness and i'm happy to be a slave of righteousness this morning are you this verse in romans here speaks of a spiritual freedom that translates into an action but i'd like you just to think for a moment to consider for a moment in broader terms what does it mean to you to be free? Just think about that for a second. What does it mean for you to be free? The dictionary describes and defines freedom as the power or right to act, to speak, or think as one wants. And then there's this Wikipedia definition that says, Having the ability to act or change without constraint or to possess the power and resources to fulfill one's purpose. It's quite interesting. But beyond those definitions of freedom, I think freedom means many different things to different people. For some, I think freedom is the ability to choose to be yourself in whatever form you feel you want to be. 
which is something that is quite prominent in our societal movement at the moment. Choose who you want to be. And then throughout history, the desire to be free has inspired countless marginalized groups, predominantly people of color, to challenge the rule of political and economic elites for the expansion of democracy in the name of freedom. And countless numbers of people have died for that and offered their lives for that idea. And then also some people struggle with bondage to addictions like secret sins of drug addiction or addiction to pornography while others still are trapped in abusive relationships in their own homes. And for them, freedom moves from being very attainable to being impossible in the space of a moment. And then some folk are trapped in their own minds with mental health issues, unable to understand or to experience the fullness of freedom. And then for others, um, freedom may simply mean being released from having to pay bills or being released from having to go to work. For my son, freedom means not having to go to school. <laughs> and for my daughter, it means not having to clean her side of the room. So I think we all have this different ideas of what the essence of freedom is and it fluxes, it moves with the way that we feel and experience our lives. But then freedom is also a major theme in the Bible. The idea of being in bondage and not having freedom is introduced to us in the very first book of the Bible already. Just three chapters into the Bible, in the story of God's creation in the book of Genesis, humanity gave up its freedom by choosing to rebel against God. And from that time forward, the perfect freedom that God had created in the Garden of Eden was gone. And the long-term effects of that were both physical and spiritual. The Old Testament records how God's people lost their physical freedom time and time again as various empires came in and overtook them. But as we read through scripture, there's a, a, a watershed moment when Jesus arrives. And when Jesus does come, he incarnates himself into a time and a place when God's people were still not free, but still again under the rule of a different na nation in the people of the Romans. And Jesus comes with a mandate that relates again very directly to freedom. He speaks in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, these well-known verses that we even reflected on over this past weekend. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as we know, part of this mandate meant that Jesus had to go to the cross. And on the third day, to rise from the dead, to win this freedom from bondage for all of those who choose to believe in him. But as I reflect on even this past weekend, what I always find disturbing is that people were willing to kill God to protect their own idea of what freedom is. John chapter 8 records what Jesus said about freedom a while before he went to the cross to those who believe. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, but we are Abraham's descendants and have never seen slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, without Jesus, we are slaves to sin. Unable to do what is right. Yet the only way to freedom is through Jesus. But the thing is, being set free and walking in freedom are not the same thing. Being set free is something that was done for us by Jesus. Because we are unable to set ourselves free from the bondage of sin. However, walking in freedom is something that we must choose to do ourselves in His strength and by His grace. Now there's this story in the Bible that we know very well that appears to me to show two believers who don't seem to be walking in freedom, both physically and spiritually in in essence. And this story actually takes place just hours after Jesus had risen from the dead. And the story is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's that very well-known story that we tend to do the Sunday after Easter, which is today. It's the story of the road to Emmaus. So just before we read through the story, the context is that Jesus had been crucified on the Friday. His body was placed in a tomb. He's there on the Saturday. Sunday comes and the women go to the tomb to spice the body. They don't find his body there. They do, however, see two angels who tell them that he is risen. And they go back and they tell the other disciples who don't believe them at first. And this is where we pick the story up from verse 13. Luke records, 
Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now I want us to stop reading the story there. And I want us for the next few moments to focus on this incomplete story up until this point. And then we'll circle back later on as to why that is of value and challenge to us today. So what I want us to focus on at this point is the fact that these disciples, these followers of Jesus who were on their way to Emmaus, they were actually stuck in the crucifixion while being in the presence of the resurrection. They only had the picture of the crucifixion with them. And I would want us to stay in this moment with them, as it were, in this moment of stuckness, this moment of trauma that these disciples had experienced and were dealing with through dialogue with each other on this seven-mile journey to Emmaus. The text that we read describes them as being downcast. Verse 17 says that they were looking sad. And so they were visibly upset. And so effectively, they were not walking in freedom. The freedom that Jesus had just won for them hours earlier. In fact, it seems as though they were walking in defeat. They didn't have that feeling of freedom that you have when you know you're guilty of something, but you're let off the hook. You know, that kind of freedom. They didn't have that freedom that, that comes from this feeling of having been released from oppression 
from having someone force something or themselves on you. They did not experience that kind of freedom. No, all they did was they felt shocked. They felt disappointed. They had this heaviness hanging over them. And furthermore, I actually think that they were in emotional and spiritual distress. And they were actually in need of counseling and therapy in that moment. Imagine having seen someone who you had grown to love and follow, someone who you had, who had invested in your own well-being, someone who had promised you freedom. Seeing someone like that being whipped, beaten with clubs, be falsely accused, and then see that person nailed to wooden beams. And then watch that person die, possibly, of organ failure, of exhaustion, of suffocation in front of you. I believe you would need help processing something like that. So this was their lived experience in that moment. And feeling free wasn't something that they had the joy of experiencing then. I think how we could describe what we read of here is the idea that being set free and walking in freedom, again, they are not the same thing. Jesus had set them free through his actions on the cross, but walking in freedom is something that we have to choose to do ourselves in God's strength and by His grace. Being set free does not mean that you automatically start walking in freedom. But knowing that you are free actually makes you walk differently. Think about how someone would walk if they were in bondage. Knowing that you are free and walking in freedom actually makes you live your life differently. Now, I think all of us here have some understanding of what it means to walk in freedom as an individual follower of Jesus. And we won't spend too much time on that. But I do want us to wrestle with what it means for us to walk in freedom as a community. What does it mean for us to walk in freedom together as the church? And for us to understand this idea better, I think it may be better, it may be helpful at least, to remind ourselves again of who we are as the church. We see later in the story that Jesus actually took time with these disciples to interpret to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so let's unpack in the next few minutes what scripture communicates to us about our identity as the church. We call ourselves the church. Now the word church is, it's an English word that we use today. And so if you ask people about the church, most will tell you where the church is. So they'll tell you the church is on the corner of La Gratitude and Riesicht, as if the church were this building in which this group of people met. But the meaning of the word church has a very complicated history. The oldest word for church, the word that early Christians used 
is the Greek word ekklesia. The Greek term ekklesia is actually found 114 times in the original Greek New Testament. And this word ekklesia was in use hundreds of years before the Christian church even appeared on the scene. Some 600 years before the church appeared, this term and this idea of ecclesia existed. And the word ecclesia, which is the original word to describe us, was actually a political word. In ancient times, the Greeks were very influential in philosophy and establishing thinking around how to govern and rule people in the political arena. And so the Greeks would sit around for hours philosophizing about how they would be able to rule the masses. And actually, they are the ones who came up with our system of democracy. This word ecclesia is a compound of two segments. Ek meaning out of and kaleo meaning to call. So it means to call out. Now, throughout the Greek world, even before the time of Jesus, and right down into the New Testament times, the ecclesia was the name that was given to the gathering of citizens called out from their homes into a public space, into an arena or an assembly, where they would discuss and make decisions about public affairs. Our equivalent in modern terms might be something like a ratepayers association or maybe a bosperat, which in some ways is not like it, but we'll, we'll, we'll stay with that. Now, based on historical accounts, ecclesia meetings happened in Greek and in Roman city-states. And at these ecclesia meetings, they would discuss public affairs, like the confirmation of magistrates, or they would discuss whether or not they would go to war with another nation. They would discuss military strategy. They would elect officials at these meetings. They would discuss issues of communal health and economics and those kinds of issues that related to community. Now, these, this ecclesia could not initiate new business. This group of people who came out weren't allowed to bring their own issues into that space. The agenda for them was fixed by the rulership and by the king. Even though it was a space where there was um, allowance for free thought and you could air your opinion, you couldn't come into that ecclesia with your own agenda. The ecclesia was essentially a gathering where only the desires of the king would be circulated. And people and discussed and dealt with the wishes and the decisions only of the king. Now I want you just to bear that in mind. And I want to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And then we'll kind of tie all of this together. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13 says, and this was recorded months before Jesus was crucified. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And this is the part I want us to take note of. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus here, as he's talking to the disciples, he uses Greek and Roman language even before the idea of church was known to them to describe what he was going to do. Remember, at that point in time, the whole region was under Roman rule, and this language would have been language that his disciples would have been well able to understand. So what Jesus is saying here is, he's saying there's a kingdom out there that has its own ecclesia. There's a kingdom out there that has its own gathering of called out ones. But I am going to establish my own ecclesia, my own kingdom, that will have its own group of called out ones. And he's saying through my ecclesia, through my church, I will communicate my own desires and my own wishes. And not even the gates of Hades, Hades is the Greek word for death, not even death will prevail against it. Not death on a cross and not death to any of his followers, and that includes us, can stand against the will of God. Now, as we close, coming back to our incomplete story of walking in freedom, when we talk about walking in freedom for us as followers of Jesus, it's helpful for us, I believe, to know that we are no longer part of the ecclesia of the world. We are no longer part of the world's called out ones. But rather, we are part of the ecclesia. We are part of the church of the kingdom of heaven. And our mission as the church, our mission as this ecclesia of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, is to execute only the desires of the king. And our king is Jesus. And our mission relates to his kingdom. But here is the sobering reality that we face. We find ourselves in a world where many people are still stuck in the crucifixion. Many people are still stuck on Easter Saturday. And for them, the resurrection truth has not 
come yet. It is still at hand for them. And so in our very own beautiful country of South Africa, many people are still stuck in the Saturday. After having experienced the crucifixion on the Friday, the morning, the lament of Saturday is all that they know. And the resurrection truth of Sunday has not dawned on them yet. And I want to stretch that idea today beyond the spiritual, even into the physical. For many of our fellow South Africans, they find themselves unable to fully walk in freedom, even though they are free. And I believe the missional challenge for us today is how can we allow Jesus to use us to bring the resurrection truth into spaces that desperately need it, both physically and spiritually, because the resurrection must inform our incarnation as followers of Jesus. I'm kind of at the end, but I feel compelled to finish that incomplete story. And this is how it closes. Luke chapter 24, verses 28 to 35 says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Something happens when we tell others about this resurrection truth. Something is released. Hearts begin to burn, and we want to be part of that. Will you pray with me? Now, earlier on, we spent some time in prayer. But maybe some of you here still don't feel free. Maybe some of you here this morning still wrestle in a space of being in bondage. And as I pray now, maybe you want to stand and pray with me. Maybe you want to, in response to this feeling of not feeling free in this moment, come before God. Or maybe you want to stand and join me as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst us. Let's pray. Father, today we, we thank you for the gift of freedom that you have won for us. We recognize again today that that gift of freedom was hard fought. 
but you were willing to pay that price. You were willing to die on the cross for us so that today we can walk in freedom. And so, Father, as some of us sit here still wrestling with this notion or idea that we may still be in bondage, we ask for your Holy Spirit presence to come and to bring release. We ask that even as we leave here today, that your Holy Spirit would continue to minister to us. We eagerly want to experience the fullness of the freedom that you have won for us. And equally so, we want to be channels that bring freedom into spaces of bondage. And so, Father, we thank you for this time of worship this morning. We thank you for your presence, even as those who are standing right now, Lord. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just touch them. That you would come and minister to them. That you would come and bring release in the name of Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and touch them, Lord. Father, we eagerly desire to have your kingdom come in all its fullness, even though we only see it breaking through now. Here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.